I was barely making enough to pay my mortgage and pay the car payments and pay put food on the table. And I just looked at it and I was like, this is not what I signed up for as the American dream. This is not what I signed up for that I went to college for. Uh, this is not how I want my life to be. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 87. On this show, we tell the stories and strategies of everyday millionaires and unveil their current portfolio allocations. If you're new to the show or whether you've been listening for a while, we appreciate you tuning into the podcast. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It helps us gain new listeners and reach new millionaire interviewees. Last week on the show, we had a terrific episode with Pete. Pete lives in Australia and started his career in teaching. He's now a financial planner and enjoys the work there. He has a net worth of over $5 million and shared his story as well as advice and mistakes he's made on his financial journey. So if you haven't heard that episode, go check it out. That's episode number 86. Before we get into today's show, just want to thank our sponsor, Equity Multiple, for supporting the show. One of the tried and true paths to becoming and staying a millionaire is establishing passive income streams. Perhaps the most tried and true passive income channel for savvy investors is commercial real estate. Equity Multiple connects accredited investors with pre-vetted exclusive commercial real estate investments with investment minimums as low as $10,000. With Equity Multiple, you can allocate a meaningful portion of your portfolio to professionally managed commercial real estate and create a stronger and more diversified portfolio. Head to equitymultiple.com forward slash millionaires to learn more. Again, that's equitymultiple.com forward slash millionaires. If you'd like to be on the show as a millionaire interviewer or one who's close to reaching millionaire status, feel free to reach out to us. Our email is millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. We think that everyone has something to add to the show, and there's a unique perspective and story from each of our millionaire interviewees. So we're trying to capture both those pieces, both the story and the allocation of of the investment on this show. We have a great show today with Jack Bosch. Jack specializes in flipping land. He finds and buys vacant lots and then tries to sell them for a profit. He also invests in real estate, including single and multifamily. He has a current net worth of around $15 So without any further delay, let's get right into the interview with Jack. Jack, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and what you're doing now? Absolutely, yeah. My name is Jack Bosch, and um, I am basically both a real estate investor and a, I want to call it educator, right? Uh, So I basically, my wife and I started a real estate investment company flipping land like other people flip houses. Like we flip land just like, like all the house flippers flip houses except for we don't have houses on them, so it's actually simpler than than house flipping. Um, and we've done that since 2002, over 4,000 times. And since then, we've also uh, built up a portfolio of rental homes. And for the last few years, we've also added to that investments in apartment complexes. So that's on the investing side what we do. So we're basically real estate investors in multiple asset classes. And uh, we also have been teaching real estate investing and particularly our simple land flipping method for the last 10 years, going on 11 years now. Basically, we're teaching people that want to make extra money, that want to break break free out of an, a life of lack, out of a life of where they, where they don't like their job, they don't like what they're doing, how to literally go and 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 replace that income and, and then some with simple land flips uh, where you buy properties for 5 to 25 cents on a dollar and go sell them for market value. Wow. 
So what is your net worth today? Uh, my net worth is in the eight figures. So do you need an exact dollar amount? But it's in the low eight figures. It's like between, it's around 15 to be awesome. exact. And, and kind of, can you just give us, you know, maybe percentage wise, kind of how that's broken up between what you do with the land flipping and apartment buildings. And, and then maybe if you even have single family homes kind of deal, how's that kind of broken up? Absolutely. So when we I perhaps answer it in kind of in a chronological way, would that help? Or do you just want to have a breakdown? Yeah, that's great. Chronological is great. Right. So, so basically when we started out, we started with absolutely nothing. I'm an immigrant from Germany. My wife is an immigrant from Honduras, Central America. We came here basically with absolutely nothing other than student debt. And um, so after a few years, we started our company. We just flipped land. So within one year, we went from zero to $1 million in net worth. And most of that was either cash or seller financing notes because we love selling our land in um, land with seller financing. Basically, we buy something for 3000 sell it for $30,000. Somebody gives us a $5,000 down payment, and then they make $500 a month payment. So the $25,000 that we in kind of, in quotation mark, uh, lent them or that they pay off over time, that is an asset that you sit on that is like a bank mortgage. Like you buy you buy a house, you have a mortgage, a bank has the asset of the mortgage that they can sell. So we so the, the million dollars was a combination of cash or the combination of of these notes that we set that we set on. And we built that pretty large over the next five, six years, all the way to the market crash. So when the market crashed, uh we were probably up to a net worth of about seven million dollars at that time. And uh, and at that time, we needed to shift our business model. So our business model con- continued working all the way through today, worked to the crash, worked to the downturn, worked to the when the bottom market was at the bottom, worked on the way up. But what we realized at that point is that houses, America was for sale. So we went, we were realizing we're getting this big cash flow from these land notes because when you sell these properties on seller financing, they, these these the, the buyers they pay you for like 10 15 years so we're getting like substantial cash flow in the amount of like 70 80,000 dollars a month into our bank account and we were not we we didn't need all that money basically to 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 reinvest in land so we started buying houses so we started buying houses at the bottom of the market and bought a portfolio of almost 50 houses and these houses are now worth over $5 million. So we luckily bought them all free and clear. So when we only spent about a million and a half on them, so they have gone up in value dramatically. And and so basically one method, the land method, was able to fuel investments into a second asset class that then added another bunch of uh, money uh, to it. And then since then, we continue obviously do land deals. We kind of stopped buying houses because the market now is up again and it doesn't make sense to us again to buy rental houses. The numbers don't make sense. And then we started three years ago, we started buying apartment complexes. And in those apartment complexes, the situation is such that you have a bank loan and you bring in the equity from investors. And so we only have a portion of the equity, therefore only a portion of the net worth of the increase in value of the property belongs to us. But they have added uh, basically a few million dollars in net worth since then, too. So it's a combination of those that gets us to the number. Wow. So so just as a percentage basis, I guess, what is, what's your holding in land versus in either multifamily or single-family well, houses? 
Yeah, so the actual holding in land is probably just uh, a million, one and a half or something like that, uh, that we hold land. But we also hold some land very strategically. So we are, we're buying some land in areas that we know will grow, like it's called the path of growth, right? So we buy, we bought 12 lots outside of Phoenix, Arizona, where I live, uh, where we live. And uh, we bought those lots for $3,100 a piece. They're five acre lots. But the city is, dra- is rapidly approaching those areas. New developments are coming in close by. So we're giving it another 10 or 15 years. And these lots are going to be worth two and a half or three million dollars. And, um, so, so sometimes it's deceiving. We say like, well, we own a million, million and a half dollars worth of land. Well, we're owning it because we know it's going to be worth three or five, uh, three sure. to five in the next 10, 15 years. Yeah. So and this is like a buy and hold appreciation kind of strategy on that end. Then, uh, we hold, uh, several million dollars worth of notes. Then, of course, we have a uh, percentage, like if I would say probably 10% is land, perhaps 20, 30% is land notes, uh, about 30, 35% is houses, and the rest is, uh, asset, is, is equity in acquire, in apartment complexes. Okay. And are those apartment complexes and houses that you buy outright, or are you syndicating those and, and raising the money? The houses were, the houses were bought outright. The, the apartment complexes, those are, some of them are like seven, eight million dollar apartment complexes where you take, it's like one of the last one we bought was a $6.7 million purchase plus closing costs, plus some capital expenditures, basically budget for, to make improvements to the property. So all in all, it was a five, seven and a half million dollar purchase. And that one came with a $5 million loan from the bank and two and a half million dollars were in, were from investors as well as ourselves. We put money into our own deals ourselves. So if you add it all together, that property already now is probably worth. So, so there's really the equity belongs to the investors. The other rest belongs to the loan. But since then we have already increased the value of the property by a million and a half. And that million and a half equity that we've created is split 50-50 between our investors and us. So we have already generated about $750,000 worth of equity on these deals, but they are leveraged. They have a, they have a loan on them. Okay. And do you buy everything in, in your area or do you kind of buy it across the country? Across the country. Uh, again, it's chronologically speaking. I would not recommend anyone go out there and buy something in a different state uh, as their first property because it is, uh, you got to know what you're doing. So we started buying houses. We never touched a house until 2009, right? We own our own starter home. That That's what we owned back then. But other than that, we never touched an investment house until 2009. So what we did is uh, we start, started buying houses in Phoenix, uh, where we live again. And then we started uh, only after we have realized, after we gone through the painful exercise of managing them and and really learning how to manage them properly, we then hired a property management company. And after we saw that they are properly running these properties really, really, uh, really, really good without us ever having to go to a property. I own properties in Phoenix for the last for the last 10 years that I, I, I literally I have to look up which address it is because I couldn't even find these houses anymore because it's it's not necessary to go out there anymore. So once we realized that, we started buying in, to, in two different markets. We own houses in Cleveland. We own also houses in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, and then also once we have realized on, the, on there, they're producing cash flow. They're very, very clean, very, very easy to manage properties now that we know how to do this uh, through a third-party property management company. Now that's when we started adding the apartment complexes. And on the apartment complex side, 
We are, we therefore went straight out to other markets because the market in Phoenix is just impossible to find deals in. So we are, we're owning in North Carolina, in Louisiana, in, in Oklahoma. And, uh, but, but we first learned how to manage a property from a distance before we went and bought properties at a distance. Sure. Yeah. I think, I think it's great. It's great advice. Do you self manage anything? Uh, no. Yes. One car repair facility. Uh, which is a, almost a triple net kind of lease where the, where the owner, it's almost a triple net. It's triple net except for we pay property taxes. The definition of triple net is really that the tenant pays everything, including property taxes, utilities, and makes their own repairs to stuff. So in this case, the guy makes his own repairs. If something breaks, he fixes this. Uh, we don't have to ever do anything on the property and we just pay the property taxes, um, uh, separately ourselves but other than that uh, he pays for everything so so therefore because it's it's that arrangement that i don't have to find a handyman i don't have to find a roofer plumber uh, and so on he does all of that uh we we manage that one without a third-party property management company but everything else is as a third-party management company we realized soon that as a mom and pop owner of or if you're a mom and pop owner of rental property you more often than not will give your tenants, uh, will not be as, a, as, a, as clearly the enforcer that you need to be on these rental properties. We have lots of friends that have like four or five rentals that manage them themselves and they haven't raised rents for five years because every time, every time they try to, the tenants go like, Oh my God, my, my daughter just had to be to the hospital. We had this. Can we, can we know? And, and, and they just tell you this, the story that may or may not be true. It might be true, but, but they touch you and you're a human being. So you're like, okay, well, let's raise it next year. But if you own a, if you run it through a third party property management company, they're just automatically rent renewal comes in. It's renew. It's going to be going up by 25, 30, 40, $50, whatever the number is, whatever the market gives, they do a rental analysis of the market and they raise it. If somebody, if a tenant breaks a window, well, we used to go fix it on our expense, but the property management company goes and says, well, whose fault was it? A window doesn't break itself. So if the window was broken, you guys broke the window, you go pay for it. And so they are able to deflect a bunch of expenses to back to the tenants that are rightfully should be paid by the tenants, that a good property management company actually more than pays for itself. So we actually now have less uh, stuff to manage and we're making more money. Yeah, it's good information. I think it takes it takes the individual and kind of the feelings out of it. What do you see fees wise? Is it typically around seven to 10 percent of, of collected rents? Uh, on single families, it usually is, uh, we're paying our typical rent is around a thousand dollars a month and our property management company charges $75 a month, which is about, well, it's about 9% over the course of the year, uh, or 70, uh, it's actually, no, it's 75, 77 and a half percent of rent in this case on average. And, but then they also, they, they do charge for extra stuff. Like if they do a biannual inspection of the property, uh, just to make sure that they didn't add five tenants and seven dogs to the house. Right. So they, uh, <laughs> they look at, they look at that and then they charge like an extra fee for that and so on. So it comes out to about eight, eight and a half percent that we end up paying. Okay. Gotcha. Now just backing up a little bit, you mentioned a car repair company that you own. Do you own other small business ventures? Uh, actually, I don't own the car repair company. I only own the real estate. Oh, gotcha. Okay. And that is rented to a uh, car repair guy because I don't even literally. I mean, I have to get help to hang up a painting on the wall. 
<laughs> so I'm that not handy. So just so goes to show you can do real estate investing without actually having to be handy. Yeah. Do you own anything in the market? Any market investments? I own two shares of Amazon, and that's about it. Wow. So I'm a hundred percent real estate investor. I, I I go. I mean, I love Warren Buffett. I've bought every book that ever been written about Warren Buffett. I have I have it. I've read it. And I love his philosophy, but his philosophy applies, in my opinion, to much more than the stock market. His philosophy is buy something of good value and make it greater. And also his philosophy is like instead of spreading your eggs into uh, different baskets, is like his philosophy is like be an expert in the one kind of egg that you focus on and then just monitor your eggs very closely. And the one things that I just know is real estate. And I don't know the stock market. I cannot control the stock market. I can't influence them. Uh, but I can influence the performance of my rental properties. I can influence the sales uh, speed to sale of a piece of land. And I can influence the performance of our apartment complexes. So I'm just exclusively focusing on real estate and, uh, and, and putting money somewhere else makes me uneasy because I'm, I, I don't know enough about it and it doesn't, it, and I, I'm not in control. Yeah, I think it's interesting, right? We've had other millionaires on the show that have said the same thing. They've said, hey, why am I going to go invest in the market? Why am I going to invest in equities when I feel like I can't control that, right? But then we've had others that have said, hey, you know, maybe I can't control it, but I'm willing to diversify. So anyway, just interesting to hear different yeah. perspectives. And, right? and there's no right or wrong. It's just what works for the individual person. Sure. Yeah, agreed. So, Jack, just backing up here to the very beginning, you got to admit it's pretty crazy, right? You came, you and your wife, as immigrants to the country, and now you have a, a net worth of let's call it fifteen million. How did this all get started? It all got started by being frustrated with the life how we had it. So, I came to this country to finish my college degree. Michelle, my wife, came to this country to get a college degree, also, and and then we both. Figured out, let's make this work. When you get a college degree, when you work, when you go to college here for a year as an international student, you get an automatic work permit for one year. It's called a practical training permit. It's like a multi-year process. In our case, it took five and a half years. Uh, and that is because I'm from Germany, because there's not that many people coming from Germany. If you're like from India or from Mexico or somewhere like that, it might take you 10 years to get that permanent residency, that green card. So in our case, it took five and a half years. And um, during those five and a half years, your work visa is tied to a company, the company you work for. They have to kind of sponsor it and they actually have to pay some legal fees and things to get it all done. But the moment if they fire you or you leave that company, you have 60 days to find another job that picks that re-sponsors that visa, visa and picks it back up or you have to leave the country. So in, in other words, it's. And I don't mean that in a negative way. It's almost like modern day semi-slavery here. It's like, it's like, of course you get paid for it and everything and you can leave. So it's not slavery, nothing having to do with it. But you sometimes feel like you can't go anywhere because if you go somewhere, your visa expires immediately and you have to scramble to find another visa or you have to, you lose your permanent, you lose, lose your right to be in the United States of America. So what it feels like is like, you cannot say no to anything the company asks you to do. You have, you have to say yes to everything. You have to work twice as hard because if you get fired, again, same situation, 60 days to find another job or leave the country. 
So it puts you in a position, put me in a position that I had uh, worked like crazy in this company to get to not get fired because on top of it, this company actually was laying off people at the time. When I, when I, when they hired me, they weren't laying people, they were growing. But two years into it, the economy changed and they were laying off out of their, they had grown to 7,000 people. They're laid off 3,000 people in a year. So I knew that I had to work my butt off like crazy to not lose that job. And I also realized that I had only two weeks vacation and I was barely making enough to pay my mortgage and pay the car payments and pay, put food on the table. And I just looked at it and it's like, this is not what I signed up for as the American dream. This is not what I signed up for that I went to college for. Uh, this is not how I want my life to be. So, and on top of it was in an industry that I actually over time enjoyed less and less and less. And I just hated being there. So I just felt miserable and. Because feeling miserable, you can either makes you go curl up on the couch and cry, or you can use it as a fuel to move forward. And I chose the latter, right? I chose the latter, uh, and I, I basically said, like, this will not go on like that. If I stay in this industry for another three, four, five years, it's probably going to be impossible to ever leave that industry. So, so I need to do something different. And, uh, and both Michelle and I said, decided the same thing. So we started looking and we came across real estate and within real estate, we made, it took us three years to even figure out and develop our land flipping strategy. And we failed more than we succeeded at the beginning with all kinds of different stuff that we tried. But then once we got that technique going, we got our first piece of land for $400 and sold it to the neighbor for $4,000 the same day. And then we bought another property for $500, sold it for $10,000. And we're like, we're sitting on $13,000 in four weeks. Holy cow, this is like amazing. And then we just put the pedal to the metal. Three months after we had it figured out that I finally got the permanent residency, the green card. And a few months after that, we quit our jobs and we went full time and we didn't work less. We actually worked probably more because we were driven to create complete financial freedom. That's awesome. So I don't think we've had anybody on the show yet that, that is involved in land. So can you, for our listeners, can you just kind of give an idea of what to look for if you're trying to buy some land? Kind of, you know, how do you find land that's, that's cheap enough to buy? And then who are you selling it to in terms of flipping it for those profits? Absolutely. I'll be happy to do that. So the, the simple way to describe this is that what we are not focusing on, when people hear land, they think about uh, $10 million properties in downtown Atlanta, Phoenix, uh, Chicago, you name it, New York, that Donald Trump or somebody's going to go put another billion-dollar skyscraper on there. That's not what we're dealing with. There's a secondary class of land that most people completely overlook, and that is the below $100,000 pieces of land. Those pieces of land are, um, are pieces that are, um, basically in the outskirts. They're infill lots. Let's say a lot, th- uh, community with $250,000 homes, a few empty lots. Well, these lots are worth $60,000. So you, uh, you can pick them up for, for 30 and go flip them to a builder for 50 and the builder is happy because he got a discount and you made $20,000 in the middle. The second kind of properties we focus on is also below $100,000. It's the lots in the outskirts of big cities. Where in the city, an acre is worth $300,000, but or just outside, like a few miles outside of the city, in the path of growth, those lots are worth $30,000 today. But they have been often owned by the same people for decades or have been inherited by people that don't no longer want them. And they're often willing to let these properties go at a steep, steep discount because 
while they own them, they don't make them cash flow. They don't produce anything for them. And on the contrary, there's actually something called property taxes that the people have to pay on these lots on an ongoing basis. So they don't want these lots anymore, and they're willing to give them to you for 10, 20 cents on a dollar. So, and the third property that we focus on is like larger acreage, almost like ranch land, ranches, 40 acres, 20 acres, 80 acres, two, three hours away from big cities that the, that are very attractive to the RV crowd, to the RV ATV people that want to go and camp out there and take their RV out there and do a bonfire and take their guns and some cans and shoot, shoot them and, and then, and then do dirt biking and motor and, 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 and all this kind of stuff and uh, close to a lake and things like that. And those are often 20, 20, 30 acres in areas like that might only be worth $45,000. So you can go again. They've been owned in ownership for a long time or inherited. You can pick them up for five, sell them to somebody for 40 and, uh, with seller financing, get a $5,000 down payment and sell them. And then, so these three lots, uh, these three kinds of uh, properties, we focus on them because they're the ones that there's a lot of them out there and you get great deals and there's a lot of buyers for them out there. And then what we do is we, uh, we use a direct mail method. We figured out how to get these, to get a hold of these people and we figured out who are the people are that no longer want their properties. So we send out a few hundred letters. We get uh, usually about a five to 15% response rate from these owners. And then we make them an offer and then they accept the offer. And then we use the internet to sell them. We use websites like uh, Facebook marketplace, Craigslist, uh, Zillow, Trulia, Redfin and sell these properties often very quickly. Uh, and when we sell them, we sell them either in two, one, or two, one of two ways. Either we buy something, let's say it's worth 45. We buy, we put it under contract for $5,000 and we sell it for 20 as a, as a, what's called a wholesale deal, make a quick $15,000 in the middle and just move that property on without even using our own money for that matter, because you can structure it such that you use the buyer's $20,000 to pay the seller and pay you and pay the title company. Uh, or we do that seller financing that I talked about, the seller carry back, where you then take that same property worth 45,000, you, you put on a contract for five, you sell it for 40 or a full market value for $45,000. With a low down payment, like a 10% down, like $4,500 or $5,000 down, and with monthly payments of five, $600 a month for the next eight to 10 years. And that's how you actually generate cash flow from land. So that's a, it's a very simple method. You just got to focus on the right kind of properties in the right markets, uh, get a list, send out letters, um, have them recall you back, make some offers, and then list them up there and go sell them. It's, the nice part is that there's no houses involved and therefore no plumbing, no issues, no roof issues, no foundation issues, no repairs, no contractors, none of that kind of stuff. And how long are you typically holding these things for maybe most a couple weeks then if you're flipping them that quickly? Yeah. So the ideal world is that a lot of our students, what they're doing is uh, they don't even buy them. Instead, what you do is you put them on a contract and you start marketing it right away. And once you have the buyer, you can do what's called the simultaneous closing, uh, also called the double closing, where you basically buy and sell the property the same day. And you can use your money to buy it, or you can either also structure it such that you use the, the, the buyer, the ultimate buyer's money to structure the entire deal. So that's the ideal scenario. What we do, because we have some cash, we instead, we go and buy, let's say we go on a buying spree, we go buy 50 properties and then we turn around and we go sell them. So some of them we sell the next day and some of them we sell two, three months later. 
but the holding period is usually not very long. Once you put a property on the market and you price it right and you put the listing up right and you do everything the way we tell you to do, it should not be sitting on the market for more than four weeks. Gotcha. So I just want to hear some advice and mistakes overall. But before we dive into that, I just want to ask you some some rapid fire questions. Sure. Some millionaire rapid fire questions. So what's the most expensive pair of jeans you've ever purchased? Um, Two hundred dollars. Okay, what about the most expensive pair of shoes? Okay, I love. I'm, I'm a weird. I'm European, right? So I, I love. <laughs> uh, I'm a one of. I, I like wearing suits. When we do our live events, uh, I wear a suit, even though I really don't have to, because it's the only excuse, the only place I can wear a suit to. So um, other than that, I wear jeans and t-shirt. But I, I like dress shoes, really nice looking dress shoes. So the most expensive one was, I think, four hundred dollars. But usually, I have a whole bunch of two hundred dollar pairs. Okay, awesome. Most expensive car. Uh, my wife's Porsche Cayenne that we bought a year ago cost like 80 grand. I'm okay. not that much of a car guy. I, I don't have the desire to own it really Ferrari Lamborghini kind of thing. Okay. Uh, most expensive meal out that you've paid for. Most expensive meal out. Uh, we like good steakhouses. I think we went to the Wall of Astoria and, and in Orlando one time and it ended up for a party of four ended up being like, $500 or something like that. But that's, um, yeah, we don't, my wife barely drinks. I drink a glass of wine and, 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 and that was just like $60, $70 steaks or so. Okay. What item or items or experiences are worth spending more money on to you? Well, that's where we spend our money, right? So, um, uh, again, the, 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 the Porsche Cayenne, we're going to drive for 10 years until it dies, right? So we, we just buy a car every 10 years and that's where we were frugal in that end. A nice, good quality car, but we drive it. But in terms of what we spend our money for is experiences. In the last two years, I think we've been to something like 18 countries. Um, we even took our daughter of school for half a year and traveled around the world with her. And um, so we spent money on good hotels, on just yesterday I bought tickets to go to somewhere to Europe, business class tickets to Europe. Um, that's where we splurge on, on like five-star resorts, nice dining experiences over there. But then, and food, I, I don't need the Michelin star restaurant. I like good down to earth food cooked well and tasty. That's kind of my definition. That's why we don't spend thousands of dollars like some other people, but you go to Fleming's and you're out at 300 bucks for three people. <laughs> but then, anyway, so we love experiences. So we, we go on. We go on helicopter rides when we were over in Hawaii. We go stay at the Four Seasons. We go, uh, we go on, 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 on things like that. So I, it's hard to say which one, but I mean, we, we, we do private tours. What's what I think what's worth spending when you go somewhere, go hire a tour guide to show you the city. And so we went just went to Egypt and we got the private tour guide. We were able to go inside of the pyramids in, in Cairo and, hmm. uh, and, and, and that was that was unexpected. If we would have just shown up there, we would have seen the pyramids, which would have been cool. But we're able to go inside the Great Chamber, and it was mind blowing. So, so things like that we spend our money on. Okay, what was your high school and college GPA, if you can remember? German GPAs are do done differently than American ones, but it was kind of I, I just found my eleventh grade grades, and I, I was surprised by how many C's I had. <laughs> so it's probably about, it would translate into about 2.5, perhaps 2.6, 2.7, something like that. Not, not much better than that. And did you go to college? I did. Yes. And it was a similar kind of GPA there. Okay. 
How much do you spend a year? Household spending? Well, wait, wait, let's say let's let's not make me look that stupid here. Let's it perhaps it was a perhaps translated a 3.0 GPA. It was a solid B student, <laughs> basically B, some C's, a couple of A's, kind of all across even college and and so on. Sorry, what was the last question? The household spending per year. Uh, again, if I don't exclude, if I exclude our personal travel, I it's not well. We live in a seven thousand square foot custom home now so just our water bill is like three four hundred dollars and our electricity bill is like a thousand dollars here a month because it's arizona right where it's hot but i would think it's about just base household stuff including some dinners out and stuff like that perhaps seventy eighty thousand dollars a year we don't live perhaps a hundred thousand dollars a year we don't live we live well very well i've heard you like my job i made forty five thousand dollars when i had my first job so but we don't we don't go crazy on stuff, but we live well, right? So we probably uh, we put everything on a credit card, and our personal credit card is probably about three thousand dollars a month for stuff that we buy. So we don't go crazy, but it's still also it's not nothing, right? Okay. And then, as much as you're comfortable saying your range of household income through your working life, well, that varies, but uh, it varies based on how good a year is. We had years where we made as little as. $200,000. We had years where we, or $250,000, $300,000, let's say, because a whole bunch of stuff went wrong or things. And we had years where we made a million and a half or $2 million a, a year. So it just varies. Uh, recently, the years have been very, very good. And, uh, and, and, and then, I mean, that is taxable income. So if you add taxable income, I don't think it actually has been less than 500 in the last, in the last 10 years. Okay. So, just wrapping up here, Jack, where do you go from here? Do you have a net worth goal, a passive income goal? Uh, you know, what, what are the goals and, and kind of what's the plan for the future? All right. So at this point, we have, uh, we have reached a point in our life where we spend a lot of time teaching this because we have a goal of generating a thousand millionaires out there. So do we make money teaching this? Yes. Not as much as most people think, but uh, we have years where we actually lost money in our educational business. But we change people's lives, right? So that's what I mean when stuff didn't go so well from a financial point of view. We made money on our land flipping and our houses, but in our educational business, we had a loss. So if you consolidate it all, we still made money for the year. But, but the, the, the mission out there is after you hit, after we hit our financial goals in life, which were to be kind of like financially free for the rest of our lives and have cash flow that we can do whatever we want at any time without like short of like the private jet and stuff like that, which I don't really have a desire for. We can live an extremely comfortable life for the rest of our lives. So having said that, the focus started going outwards and we started wanting to uh, share this with others. And that's where the educational part of our, our life comes from, where we teach this. So Having said that, on the apartment complex side, that's probably our most ambitious uh, piece that we have because we continue to do about 50 to 100 land deals a year. About uh, this year would be easily at 100. Uh, we continue to have our rental properties and and the uh, the area of expansion that we're doing is is the is the apartment complex side of things where we where our goal is to reach little by little over the next five to ten years five and then respectively about 10,000 doors. Now, there's really no financial reason because I don't think how that the quality of my life will improve by adding a few more million to our to our net worth or to our cash flow, but it is 
I'm 48 years old. I'm in the prime of my life. I have another 30 productive years in front of me. What am I going to do? Am I going to go sit and drink margaritas and become an alcoholic? Uh, no, right? So I love, love, love real estate. I'm going to do real estate to the end of my years. So it has, there's no goal of a, cer a certain threshold because I found that those certain threshold goals are actually empty once you reach them. Mm -hmm. So once you reach a certain dollar amount or something, you're like, okay, I'm here. Now what? So instead, I just want to go and continuously be engaged in real estate at a higher and higher level. So we also, we do no longer do $4,000 land deals. We now do 50 or $300,000 land deals because they're just as simple as the $4,000 land deals. And doing an apartment complex done right after your learning curve, uh, you can be actually more impactful than a single family piece, even though it's more complicated. So I just want to constantly elevate our game. Um, mastery is more of the goal than a certain dollar amount. And I think what it will happen is it will just come with more and more net worth, which is a cool thing because it allows us to, to truly generate generational wealth for our daughter and perhaps even our nephew out in Germany and, um, and help, help charities. We gave it, we donate a quite a bit of money every year to a couple of charities that we really engaged with, uh, there, one of them is in Honduras and one of them is here. And so as a result of all of this, uh, there's no firm goal. It's more like a path of constant, uh, growth that as a side benefit comes with more money. Understood. But I think you make a good point that when making those goals that, that the net worth and, and the income and the cash flow will come. How many hours a week do you think you work now, Jack? Currently I work a lot, but it goes in spurts. It goes in spurts. So for probably for the last nine months, I've worked as hard as I've worked 15 years ago because we were buying, we were expanding two out of our three businesses are massively expanding. And when they're expanding, it requires for us to come in, give the vision, put the, put the tracks ahead of the team so that the team can run on those tracks and then run it. But we're, I think we're about two months away from completing that cycle. And at what, at what time I'm going back to bodily working 20 hours a week. Okay. And just in closing here, what, what are some either lessons learned or mistakes you've made and, and what advice would you give to somebody who's either starting out or has already started their investment, you know, career? Uh, what I would, uh, what I, the number one thing I would probably say is no, or two things. Number one is, uh, focus on something that you understand. Again, it's Warren Buffett, right? You only invest in what he, under, what he understands. But there's something very, very important to be said about that. I get, I get presented with offers about, even within real estate, about different classes of real estate all the time that I just don't know anything about. So I realized that when we started our apartment complex journey, it was a two year learning process to learn, know everything there's to know. And I, I still don't claim I know everything there's to know, but, but there's a two year learning process to go through the, uh, to learn, to learn like the 90% that you need to be really massively efficient in that, in that area. Um, so I don't, so focus on something that you're, that you know, you can wrap your arms around and you can learn and you can be successful in. And for us, it was land at the beginning because the other pieces were too complicated because when we started in real estate, we knew absolutely nothing about real estate. We didn't even know the language of real estate, right? But the second thing I would like to focus on is um, 
focus on uh, on not being a herd animal. Um, like, don't be the lemming that uh, once everyone runs in one direction, you end up falling down the cliff. That's what happened to everyone out there in 2007 and 8 when the market crashed. We were the contrarians in that market. We were going after land and land with seller financing, which produced cash flow, which put us into the position back then when everyone was hurting and blood was on the streets. We were literally able to go in and scoop up houses for $25,000 and they're worth $200,000 today. Right. Mm. So, and the same thing happened right, happened right now with the apartment complex side. Like we're treating extremely careful in the apartment complex wise, even though there is a flurry of, there's like a, a stampede of all real estate investors towards apartment complexes. We are in the market. We are aware that we are going currently with a trend, but we're extremely careful. We're going to secondary markets. We're going to markets where the big investors are not. We're eternal contrarian. And we're already looking at down the road and saying like, well, if another correction comes, where is the place that we can go and jump in and make another ton of money in the process? Because uh, where everyone else, if everyone does houses, guess what? There's a ton of competition. The margins are shrinking. It's hard to do deals. Go look somewhere else. Don't do what everyone else does. Look the other way, because with the other ways, the grass is green and there's no competition. Just like in land right now, there's no competition. And the margins are better and the profits are better than there for, for many house guys. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing. You've obviously been been successful with your strategy. So last question here. You have a book, Forever Cash. Maybe tell us a little bit about your book and also where people can, can find you and, and hear more about you. Yeah, absolutely. So we have a book called Forever Cash. It's actually pretty much out of print. Uh, there's a few... A uh, few copies that can still be made available on uh, forevercashbook.net, forevercashbook.net. That book is is not a book about our land flipping technique. It's a book about our financial philosophy and how we are of the opinion that anyone can be financially independent in five to seven years if they, no matter where they are right now, if they just follow a certain method that we call the wealth wheel method, the forever cash method, and it's uh, and it's basically lays that process out. Um, and in, in detail, uh, you can go to forevercashbook.net and, and get it there. There's some copies secondhand available on Amazon, obviously too. Um, and, um, yeah. And then we also have a Facebook group that is called, uh, the land profit generator real estate group where we talk about both the forever cash method, uh, where we talk about where a lot of our students are active and helping each other, uh, with their land deals and so on. And that's also a great place. Both are, obviously, the Facebook group is completely free. The book costs a few dollars. Awesome. Again, that's Jack Bosch. You can also find him at jackbosch.com. Bosch is B-O-S-C-H. So, Jack, thanks for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Jack. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.